If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to the 21st chapter of the book of Judges. We'll read one verse. It'll be the last verse of the 21st chapter of Judges. I'm really excited about being with you today because uh, for about the past uh, five weeks, I've been looking forward to starting a brand new series. It's a series in the book of Judges, and the title of the series is, What is the Right Thing to Do? What is the Right Thing to Do? And so for the next two months on Sunday mornings and then Sunday nights when I preach, I'll be preaching from the book of Judges, What is the Right Thing to Do? And before I get started on this thing, I want to draw your attention to something. All of the drawings, in the slides for this sermon series, all of the drawings were done by Mike Powell. Mike, I want you to stand up up there, man. Stand up so we can see you. I want you to appreciate Mike Powell up there. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the scales you see up there, and there's, there's another drawing. Uh, this little drawing right here in the corner, uh, which you'll see later on in the, in the next few weeks uh, in a, on a larger scale. All those were done by Mike Powell. I asked him to do those, and he... He came through, and I appreciate him doing that. What is the right thing to do? Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Dr. Michael Sandel is the professor of government at Harvard University. He teaches a class every year entitled Justice, What is the Right Thing to Do? And it is one of the most popular college classes in America. Every time he teaches this class for a semester, he has a waiting list of students waiting to get into this class, and that's a waiting list after 1,000 students, which is the uh, maximum number they can hold in this particular class. 1,000 students have been enrolled in the class. They have it in a large auditorium, Harvard University. On the first day of each class, Dr. Sandell opens up the class with this hypothetical story. Suppose you are the driver of a trolley car, and your trolley car is hurtling down the track at 60 miles per hour. At the end of the track, you notice five workers working on the track. You try to stop, but you can't because your brakes won't work. You immediately reach to trip your ignition, and the ignition switch on the trolley car also does not work. You feel desperate because you know that if you barrel straight ahead into those five workers, all five of them will be killed. Let's assume that you know that for sure. You feel helpless until you notice 
that off to the right there is a sidetrack. And at the end of that sidetrack, there is one worker who is working on the track. Your steering wheel works. And so you have the ability, if you want to, to turn the trolley car onto the sidetrack. It's not on your normal route, but you have the ability to turn the steering wheel, therefore the trolley car, onto the sidetrack if you want to, knowing that if you did, you would kill one person, but you would spare the five. Here's the question. What is the right thing to do? Let's take a poll. In this room right here, which of those two would you do? If you're the trolley car operator and your brakes won't work and the ignition won't turn off, but your steering wheel works, you see five workers at the end straight ahead. If you barrel through, Straight ahead, you will kill all five of those, but there's a sidetrack. If you turn on the sidetrack, there's one worker at the end of that track. You will kill one worker, but you'll spare the five. What is the right thing to do? Are you ready for the poll? If you would take the sidetrack, therefore killing one but sparing the five, raise your hand. Raise them high. Raise them high. Just hold them there. Okay, all right. If you would not take the sidetrack, but you would continue on straight on the track, therefore running into and killing the five, raise your hand if you would do that. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Okay, all right. We have three or four people, maybe five, who raised their hand that they would continue straight. Let me... Uh, let me talk just a minute with those of you who are in the majority. Those of you who raised your hand saying, I would turn the steering wheel on the sidetrack, realizing that in doing so I would run into and kill one, but I would spare five. Those of you who, who raised your hand saying you would do that. Um, I'd like to find someone, this is unusual for a sermon time, I realize, but I would like to find one person who would be willing to raise your hand and tell me why you would take that choice. Is there someone here who would do that, who's, who's, who's uh, bold enough just to raise your hand and, and uh, say that? Someone besides Chris Beatty? Uh, you know, uh, uh, all right, all right. Uh, Bruce, will you give me this mic right here? Will you give it to me? Thank you. All right. Oh, boy. Two, two minutes or less, Mr. Beatty. Uh, stand up, stand up. Uh, Mr. Beatty. You'd take the sidetrack, right? Yes. Okay, why? Because five would survive and one would die. Okay, that's it? That's it. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't, <laughs> thank you very much. That's a, that's a, that's a good answer. How, how many people agree with that reason? Those of you who voted to take the sidetrack instead of barreling straight ahead, how many of you, uh, the same reason that Chris gave? Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right, so for the most part, the vast majority of the congregation says you take the uh, sidetrack, and of those who take the sidetrack, the, the vast majority say it's because it's better 
that one person would die rather than five if those are the two options. Is that a fair summary there? Um, the uh, three or four of you, maybe five, who raised your hand saying you'd rather straight, go straight ahead. Do you, do you want to give a reason for yours, any of you? Greg. Boy, you never know what Greg's going to say. You'd, you'd go straight ahead, Greg? Okay. Uh, why would you go straight ahead? I, I'll hold the microphone, Greg. <laughs> because, like, what if the horn works? You can, like, beat the horn and you can go straight. Let's assume the horn doesn't work, Greg. Because, like, one person may see it coming, like, tell the others to get away. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Good thinking there. Any, any of the others who raised your hand, you want to give a reason? Any of you? Bo, did you, did you say you'd take the straight ahead mark? Is that what you said? Why, why, why would you go straight ahead, Andy? Because if not, you're making a choice to kill someone. You're, you're choosing to kill that person. As opposed to it being without a choice. Hmm, that's good. All right, Bo. You, you would uh, go straight ahead. Why is that? I just said the people were going straight ahead. They already know you're coming. They're working on the track. They expect it. The one to the right doesn't know anything about it. Okay. All right. We've got some good thinkers here. All right, let me, for those who voted in the majority, for those who voted in the majority, who said that you would, you would steer the trolley car down the sidetrack to kill one instead of five. Would you, those of you raise your hand again so I can see you? Just all of you? Okay. All right, let's suppose, same scenario, five straight ahead. If you go straight ahead, you're going to kill five. If you take the sidetrack, you'll kill one but let's suppose that you look up and that one is someone you know very well and you love. Let's say Chad raised his hand. I'm going to pick it on Chad. Let's say, Chad, you look up and the person is Emmett Gentry on the sidetrack. Or let's say that, who else raised their hand that they would take the, take the sidetrack? Not nearly as many all of a sudden, I realize. Uh, let's say that uh, Leah, Leah Kearns, you're the, uh, you're the trolley car operator, and you look up and on the sidetrack, it's Doug Kearns. <laughs> Guess I should have picked somebody else besides a father-in-law. <laughs> See you, Doug. <laughs> Been nice knowing you, boy. <laughs> Let me ask you this. For those of you who voted to take the sidetrack, if you look up and on that sidetrack is someone you know very well and you love very dearly, a spouse or a child or a girlfriend, boyfriend, for how many of you would that change or... How many of you would that cause you to really stop and think as long as you could about it? Raise your hand. So all of a sudden, 
under different circumstances, the principle that Chris gave us falls apart. Every day, you and I are confronted with decisions. Most of them are very minor. They, they're not nearly of the severity of whether to, to go straight ahead in the trolley and kill five or take a sidetrack and kill one. But every day we're faced with decisions, most of them minor, some of them major, and we have to answer the question, what is the right thing to do? In fact, I, I think that we, we could safely say that a big part of the Christian life revolves around and is invested in helping people to do what is right. After all, in the Old Testament, God says, you be holy, which has right worked into it, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Jesus echoed that. He says, you be perfect, just as I am perfect. Those are hard words to follow. Most of us try to water down the calories and put that in some sort of diet version. But a, a big part of the Christian life, a big part of being a child of God, being the people of God, revolves around trying to help people do what is right. Now, that's not the major thing. And I he, I'm hearing some minds thinking, well, the major thing is eternal life. And, and I would agree with that. Eternal issues are front and center having a relationship with Christ that results in you having eternal life that starts here and goes on forever after you die in heaven, that's the main thing. We'll go ahead and just settle that right now. But second to that is this issue of helping us to do what is right. And every day, my Christianity and your Christianity is on the line by the decisions we make. Now, by the, on the line, I'm not saying that we, we can lose it by making a wrong decision, but what I am saying is that every day our witness, our Christian witness, and the effectiveness of our Christianity is on the line based upon decisions we make one way or the other, right versus wrong. And quite often... It's, we're called upon to make a right or wrong decision in a split second. Now, that's a problem for, say, folks like me. I have to digest things. My mind is a crock pot. It works really slow. And so I have to step back and think about something and digest it and analyze it and overanalyze it before I'm able to come up with, with an answer. Now, some of you are just the opposite, and I wish I had what you have, that you have the ability... I mean in a split second to make a decision and it be most of the time the right one. Boy, I wish I had what you have. But some of us aren't gifted with that. And yet all of us are confronted with what is the right thing to do. The book of Judges is about what is the right thing to do. It describes a very dark time during the history of Israel. Uh, let me just set the stage for a moment if I can. You remember that, that the Israelites were in Egypt for over 400 years, 430 years to be exact. They were way down in Egypt. And God raised up Moses. And Moses goes down into Egypt and he leads the people out of, out of Egypt. You remember that? If you do, nod your head. 
leads him out of Egypt into the desert of uh, Arabia. And they wander in that desert for 40 years. Finally, they come to the Jordan River. Moses is allowed to see the promised land from Mount Nebo, and then he dies. Joshua succeeds Moses, and Joshua leads the children of Israel across Jordan into the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. Say that. And they are in the promised land, conquering city by city. They start out with Jericho, then they go to Ai, and then they, they progress starting for the most part in the southern part of the nation, uh, of the country, and then moving up to the northern part, they conquer and invade Canaan from south to north. Almost all of it, but not all of it. That conquest, that invasion period, lasts anywhere from six years to 30 years, depending on uh, who you believe. The Bible does not uh, lay out exactly how long the conquest took, but there's some period of of six to 30 years that the conquest lasted, and then Joshua dies. And then the period of the judges begins. And that period is summarized in the very last verse of the book. In those days, that is the days of the judges, judges uh, weren't uh, guys in robes, who, who, who come out in a courtroom, that wasn't a judge. A judge here is referring to a military leader of a region of soldiers, usually a militia. And it wasn't a leader over the whole nation, but just a, a regional leader. These were judges. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. There was no leader over all Israel. The people were without a leader. They didn't have a Moses. They didn't have a Joshua. It wasn't the time when they had kings yet. That would come later. But right during the time of Judges, they had no leader, no king in Israel outside of God. And more importantly, for descriptive purposes, the people did what was right in their own eyes. That's an amazing verse. That's a, that's a verse that describes the period of the Judges. Guess what? It's a verse that describes the period in which you and I live. Now, we have a president, and, uh, but we don't have, we, we don't have a period that is, that is different from them in that we, for the most part, do what we think is right in our own eyes. And the, most of the time, it seems that we don't do a great job at that. So let's ask this question, what is the right thing to do? And let's look at this summary verse. Uh, we'll begin this message uh, this morning, and I'm, I'm going to finish it tonight. What is the right thing to do? Looking at this verse and thinking about that question, I want to throw out some observations about how we answer what we do with this question. What is the right thing to do? And the first observation that I want to make is simply this. The question assumes that there is always a right option. The question assumes that there is always a right option. What is the right thing to do? Assumes that there is always a right option. But is this assumption legitimate? Is this a legitimate assumption for every decision that you and I make? Now, if you're someone who 
is, has no religious faith of any kind and you've been thinking about God and you are a believer that there is some supreme being and, and now you're to the point where you're trying to figure out which faith, if any of them has it right, and you, you're looking at Islam and you're looking at Judaism and you're looking at Hinduism and, and you're dabbling a little bit in the New Age beliefs and then there's Christianity and you're looking at those or you're thinking about none of those of all those options, there is something that is the right option. And of course, for those of us who are Christians, who uh, believe in the authority of the Scriptures, our belief is that the Christian life, the way of following Christ in a relationship with Him is the right option. There are some decisions for which there is the right option. But is it true of every decision? Some, a decision that uh, is not nearly so important as most of the major decisions you'll make. You go down to uh, Longhorn State. You just walked in. The hostess gave you all menus. You've been there. You've been to the restaurant, have you? Hello? She's given you the menu. You already know you're going to get a steak. You already know that you're going to get the renegade. But the choice for you is now down to, do I get the 8-ounce renegade or do I get the 12-ounce renegade? Which one is right? Here's a question for you that... I, I'm, I'm not going to answer. I'm just going to leave it with you. According to God, which does he want you to have, the 8-ounce or the 12-ounce renegade? Of course, if you're, if you're a vegetarian, you're going to say, well, God doesn't want you to even eat there. If you're the owner of Ruby Tuesdays, he's going to say, God doesn't want you to eat Longhorns anything. But let's assume that you're there at Longhorns. You're deciding between the 8-ounce and 12-ounce. Does God have a preference for you? Or is he okay with either one? Now, I realize whether you eat an 8-ounce or 12-ounce is really neither here nor there. It's not going to have any eternal ramifications. I realize that. But it is enough. It is enough of an illustration, an example to say, is there full and complete legitimacy in assuming that there is always the right option? Maybe we can say that there, there is the right options on the premier, I mean the preeminent decisions of our lives, the decision on whether to receive Christ, the decision on whether to choose Christ or some other faith, the decision of whether to join a church or not join a church. The Bible is very clear about receiving Christ, very clear about being a part of a local church. The Bible's very clear that if you wake up in the morning and you decide, okay, am I going to pray today or am I not going to pray today? There is a right answer among those. It's very simple. That's black and white. But how does God feel about every single decision you make? The question assumes that there is always a right option. Is it a legitimate assumption? 
There's a second observation that I want to make here, and that is this. Sometimes we do not desire what is right. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sometimes you and I can pray and meditate and search the scriptures and ask God the advice of godly people in order to try to make a, a decision on a certain uh, situation with which we're confronted, and we can come away with a very clear picture of the right thing to do. I know the right thing to do in this situation, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. What do you do then? This verse implies, and the book of Judges flat out tells us that sometimes we do not desire to do what is right. In fact, I'll go a little bit further. Most of the time, left to ourselves, we do not desire to do what is right. The Bible teaches us that you and I as human beings are born with the seed of sin within us. That seed will sprout and the result of, of being born with that seed of sin in us is that there are, there are times, and, and left to ourselves, most times we will choose, because of that seed of sin, we will choose what is wrong even though we are fully aware of what is right. This is clearly laid out in example after example after example in the book of Judges. We'll see that over the next few weeks. But it doesn't stop with the period of the Judges. In fact, here's what, here's what uh, Jesus said. In John chapter 3, the New Testament, John chapter 3 verse 19, he says, This is the verdict. What verdict? The verdict on humanity. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, more often than not, you and I, even after we know exactly the right thing to do, will choose the wrong thing to do. And even sometimes we might choose part of the right decision, like we may choose the right thing to do, we'll do it at the wrong time, or we'll choose the right time, but still do the wrong thing. And either way, it becomes totally wrong. Sometimes... We do not desire to do what is right. Now, there, there's a final observation I want to throw to you this morning from this verse and this book, and it's this. What is right in our own eyes is not always right. What is right in our own eyes is not always right. When you read a sentence, when, you're, when you open up a book or a piece of paper that has text on it and you're reading a sentence, you realize, I know you do, that in that sentence, a sentence is just a string of words. It has a, a subject, a verb, sometimes a subject, verb, direct object. Uh, thrown in there are adverbs and adjectives and, and uh, articles and conjunctions and so forth. But at its base, you have a string of words that's subject, verb, and object. A sentence is made up of words or phrases. And, and each, with each sentence you read, 
every one of those words or phrases is saying something out loud. Did you know that? And the thing of it is that when you look at a sentence, there are certain phrases that speak in a whisper. They whisper. There are others that speak in a moderately volumed voice. And then there are some that scream at you. Did you know that? Now take that last sentence in the book of Judges. It has, for the most part, three phrases. And one of those phrases is just above a whisper. And one of the phrases is at a moderate volume. But one of those phrases is screaming. Let me, let me show you what, what I mean. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, in that sentence, the last four words are screaming. That means they are more, they, they are, are more important than anything else that is in that entire sentence because these people are seemingly trying to do what is right, but not what is right in the eyes of God, not what is right according to the will of God, but according to what is right in their own eyes. They want to figure it out for themselves without God injecting himself into the equation. I really wish. I'll tell you, I, I, would, I would give a lot if the last verse of Judges ended this way. In those days there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right. Do you see the difference if it just stops right there? Hello? Do you? Raise your hand, sidetracks. There you go, okay. But it doesn't stop there. In those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There is a difference between what is truly right versus what is right in our own eyes. We can be absolutely and positively convinced of the rightness of a decision we're making, and it can be dead wrong. And so here's the thought as we begin this series. Here's the thought that I want to leave with you. And you can chew on it, and you can see if you believe that this thought is true or not. I'm not going to say whether it is. I'm just going to throw it out to you. Here it is. We need to do, as Christians, we need to do what is right. But knowing what is right is very difficult. I'll just leave that with you. We as Christians need to do what is right, but knowing what is right is very difficult. Not always clear. Now let me stop here and say this. In a moment, we're about to have an invitation. And I want to share with you some things that are definitely right. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ is right. Inviting Christ into your life to be your Savior and Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, look, it is right. 
Do you have a relationship with him? Has there ever been a time in your life when you asked Jesus into your life, could you tell somebody about it? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? It's the right thing to have. Second, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's right to become officially a member of a local church. Now, it may not be right for you to join Palmetto Baptist Church, but it is right for you to be a part of a local church, and my prayer is that it's right for you to be a part of Palmetto Baptist Church. Are you saved? And are you a member of a local church? If not, do you sense that God is leading you to join this church? And then the final part of this invitation is this. And this is the part that's an unknown for me. Some of you are facing decisions that I don't know anything about and I don't need to know anything about, but you are struggling with what is the right thing to do in that decision. And I simply want to suggest to you that maybe in this invitation this morning you want to do what you've already been doing but in a more visible way, taking that decision to the Lord in prayer. Do you understand the invitation? Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's first and foremost. That's the most right thing that I know of anybody can do. Do you have a relationship with him? If not, I'm going to ask you in a moment to come down to this, this front area here, and we have folks who will help you make the decision to invite Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, okay? Second, if you're already a Christian, is God leading you to join this church? Third, is there a decision with which you are struggling right now in your life and you just need some extra prayer power about it? You find out whether this invitation is right for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for showing us your will. I thank you for a word that is honest because it shows people who literally struggle with what is right. It shows people who struggled with knowing what you want for them to do. Sometimes it was crystal clear and sometimes not so much. But Lord, for us this morning, the important thing is that we understand what is the right thing for each of us to do. Lord, you have shown us that it is right to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, you've shown us that it is right to be a part of a local church. Lord, you've shown us that it is right when we don't know what is right in a given situation. It is right to come to you in prayer and ask for your wisdom and guidance. So Lord, we come to you this morning. Help us to know the right thing to do. In Jesus' name, amen.